welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. What is happening right now as Bethany walks around the double anointing and the old anointing is uh, I want you to think about that because here we look in Acts chapter 3 that Jesus said, we'll read from verse um, 19, I believe it is. My device isn't going to work, so I'm just going to have to wing it. Can I wing it with you guys? Uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it reads like this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration. The original translation says, the heavens must contain until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Let's just walk, look at, first of all, at the word convert, converted. Repent and be converted. It literally means to be changed. In fact, if you look in the original text at the definition, it means repent and turn to God. Two words get bad raps in Christendom. The first one is repent. It's often portrayed as a negative word, but it's actually a positive word. It, it actually means to turn away from and turn to. And so here, the original preacher Peter was saying, repent, turn away from your current life and turn to God. To be converted literally means to turn to. And so when you come to Christ, you are supposed to be converted. You're supposed to turn to, not just get caught up in the curiosity of Christianity and church life, but literally begin to turn to God in every situation of life. That when you get into a stressful situation, you turn to God. I didn't think she would last this long. I wish I had had the 32 kilo one and the 28 kilo one. It would have taken so long to wear her down. But it's interesting to note that Jesus has not returned because he's been held in the heavens until the restoration of all things. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, what are those things that need to be restored? Why, why is Jesus being held within the heavens? And, and it's true, I was listening to my devotion this afternoon to finish today's devotion and Nikki Gummel was talking there about the fact that Jesus is being held in the heavens because God wants to take more time to reach more of those people, the wheat that you know, in, in the parable in the Gospels, it talks about the wheat and the weeds and uh, those wanted to pull up the weeds and Jesus said, no, don't pull up the weeds now because you'll take some of the wheat with you and literally in the world today, there is either wheat or weeds. If you're here tonight, you're either wheat or weeds. I encourage you not to be a weed, but to be a wheat. But in the kingdom, it, it, you're often coming into the kingdom and there are weeds amongst us. And, and some some people would especially in the holiness zone, they would like us to get rid of the weeds. But Jesus said, don't get rid of the weeds because while you're removing the weeds, some of the wheat's going to get caught up in that. And he said, leave it. Let them grow up together and at the end of the age, the angels will do the sorting out. Are you with me? 
And so it's true that one of the reasons why Jesus is being held within the heavens is because God wants us to reach more people and bring them into the kingdom. He doesn't want them to go into a Christless eternity. But I would suggest to you tonight that there are more reasons why that Jesus is being held in the heavenlies and that is for the restoration of all things. And some of those things, I don't want to go into an exhaustive look at it tonight. I'd like to do it somewhere in the year ahead. But I would say justification by faith needs to be restored in the church. That people need to realise that you are justified by your faith in Christ, not by your works, not by your denomination, not by your whatever you think it is, but your justification for salvation comes through your faith in Christ alone. There's still power in the blood of Jesus. I don't know what you take to God when you go before him and you've stuffed up, but when I've gone before God and I've stuffed up, I often say to God, I have nothing to offer you but the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for me on the cross of Calvary. I have nothing to offer you but the propitiation that was provided for me. Through, Are you with me? Justification of faith needs to be restored in the church. Gosh, I'm having device issues. The second thing I would say is sanctification through surrender. That we need a a restoration within the church that even though I'm justified by faith, I, I need to move into that zone where I'm sanctified, set apart through surrender. And that won't happen by just knowing Jesus as Saviour. It happens through knowing Him as Lord. Are you with me? I would say that we need a restoration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit like fire in your bones, fire in your life. Like the, the fact that Joel prophesied and, and then Peter prophesied in Acts chapter 3 that, that, that in those days you shall be filled with power from on high. That power from on high wasn't just so that you could live any life. That power from on high wasn't just so that you could do your own thing and fulfill your own dreams. That power from on high was so that you could be a witness to God in your private world and in your public world, that your witness could go to a whole new level. It's a spiritual power. It's not a power for success. It's not a power to be an entrepreneur. It's actually a power to be a witness for Christ. And so that spirituality needs to be restored to the church. It's not even a power to walk dumbbells around an auditorium because the preacher said he wanted you to be a part of the preach. You're going to have to do that in your own strength, Lance. The restoration of the empowerment of the body of Christ that I believe God wants to restore empowerment to the body of Christ so that we could bring transformation to our city. That this city is not going to be transformed by the next superstar preacher coming through, but it's going to be transformed one person at a time being converted to Christ. Are you with me? There's, a trans- there's something that needs to be restored in the church, which some of you will understand, some of you won't, but the governance of the church through a manifold apostolic leadership. It's interesting that some people have not grown in the word, even though they've been in the kingdom for decades, they still think that leadership in the church is done through eldership. They don't understand that it's apostolic leadership and it's not one apostle, but it's manifold apostolic leadership. If you study the scripture in its entirety, you'll understand that elders were used in the early days because there wasn't mature leadership in the church. They hadn't had years of establishment 
they were new. So they said, grab elders. What was an elder? An elder who had is someone who had been identified with carrying certain characteristics of maturity, and they were the most mature amongst you that you could rely upon. They were set in charge over the works as they got started, but it's because the church was in its infancy. But as things grew, they re-established apostolic leadership right across the face of the church. It's got to be restored. Anyway, I didn't want to go into that. I just wanted to mention it just so that, you know, I've done a little bit of study on it and I think we should do more. But Jesus is being contained in the heavens until the restoration of all things. Tonight, we must answer the question, who are we? And number one, we are converts. We're not just curious about Christianity. We have been converted to Christ. And as a result of that, the secrets of the kingdom have been revealed to us. And now we're trying to work them into our lives. Is that right? It's interesting that as a convert, you're called to be childlike, but not childish. Childlike means I'm teachable. I'm not a know-it-all. Even myself, I'm not a know-it-all. In fact, the further you go in this journey, the more you realise you need to learn. How did somebody say it? The more I know, the more I discover I don't know. To be childlike in your faith means that you're correctable, not just by your parents, but by all in authority. Have you noticed those children that are just so easy to look after, even though they're not yours? Because when they're doing something wrong, you go, hey, don't do that. It's not good for you. They don't say, you're not my mum. Unless they're my grandchildren. No. Uh, they, if you're childlike, not childish, you're able to be corrected by anyone. I just find it interesting how some people today have no respect for authority. They're prepared to say anything and do anything in any situation, but we, because we have been converted... Hello, somebody. We we know how to respond to authority. I'm always surprised at children how they're just full of faith. That's why we're called to be childlike. My granddaughter was mucking around up the back on the chairs this afternoon. I may have helped her get on top of the chairs and encouraged her to run along the chairs. And, and then she stopped and I just said to her, come. And I was kind of three or four feet away. And she just didn't even think. She just jumped out into me, banged her head on my chest and then I caught her and thought nothing of it, laughing, childlike in faith. And you know what? We've got to remain in that place. I, I like what Bianca did at that land and just talked about the whole thing that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And let's not reduce God's ability to act in any given situation based upon the, the, the smallness of our own minds. God is able to do far above what we ask, think or imagine. You've been converted. God is restoring his church in 2020 to a whole new level. A recent study by the Center of Bible Engagement surveyed 40,000 American citizens aged between ages 8 and 80. They fell upon something they weren't looking for, which actually became the big discovery in the survey. Are you ready for it? Talking about Bible engagement. People, they engage with their Bible once a week in terms of change. Team effort. 
when we look at change in a person's life, someone that's been converted, someone that engages with their Bible once a week, that once a week could be like now, opening your Bible to listen to the preacher, negligible, no change in the person's life. If they engage in their Bible twice a week, and when we look at engagement, I would suggest that the minimum time of engagement would be 20 minutes, two times a week, no change, negligible. Three times a week, engaging with their Bible three times a week. Again, negligible, except there was a bit of a blip on the survey, like a heartbeat. If you're engaging in your Bible three times a week, the thing that blew them away during the studies, they weren't looking for this, they were actually doing this study for other reasons, but when engagement went to four times a week, the change in the individual's life went off the chart. Would you like to hear some of the change that took place? Listen to this. This is studying 40,000 people aged between 8 and 80 years old. At four times a week, the feeling of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationship dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. That's important. Sharing of a person's faith went up 200%. Becoming a disciple maker went up by 230%. I thought that study did a better job than I could ever do in just continuing to tell us that this book that we have in our hand or that app that you have on your phone, it is the most valuable source that you can go to on a day. When it talks about converting, going, turning to God, some of us say, I don't know how to turn to God in a situation. It's really easy. Turn open the pages, turn on the app. Hello, somebody. If you'll just get into the zone where you'll engage in the Bible in a very real way, you'll notice, I mean, imagine. I don't have to imagine, actually. I experienced it. I exposed myself to pornography at 12 years old, prior to Christ. That took me on a spiral that was dangerous and terrible, for many years. When I got saved, this won't be a shock, that problem did not go away because I gave my life to Jesus. That problem went away when I got to the place at about 21 years old where I could not live without my Bible. I had read an account of Smith Wigglesworth that he would not eat food naturally until he partook of the word spiritually. So because of where I was working at that time, smoko, lunchtime and all those things, I would not have my smoko until I read a chapter of the Bible. 
And I suddenly discovered after a few weeks of doing this that that challenge in that area started to diminish and just went away. In fact, God took it to a whole new level where he started to cause me to make, there's a scripture in Job where it says, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I'll not look upon another person with lust. That word jumped off the page at me and I made it my own and I made a covenant with my eyes. And I went on a 12-month journey. I'm not just bouncing my eyes, but basically keeping my eyes off everything except the ground because it's the only place that was safe for me. And after a 12-month journey on that, what freedom came on the inside. Listen, we must remind ourselves that we are the converted. We're not just the curious. But more than being the converted, we are also the committed. Are you with me? We are committed to a mission. We've been given a mission. And as we go there in 2020, as we look at this whole thing called the restoration of all things, we need to know that we are committed. Committed like Bethany and her friends. Just stop for a moment. Don't, don't let them on the ground. How are you guys feeling? Are you tired at all? My arms hurt. <laughs> yours, it's having a nice little walk. I feel like I'm holding a hand. It's, yeah, I started last. So I'm good. You're going good? If I told you that you have to do this for the next 24 hours, do you think you would last without dropping them? I can't even last this long. <laughs> what do you need? If we're going to do this for the next 24 hours, what will you need? My hand sweating. <laughs> a wheelbarrow. Just keep going. Let's see how it goes. Thank you for being so obedient and childlike. I can feel that half of you just think I'm mean, so I'm going to cut this short. We are the converted. We are the, we're committed to a mission. We've been given a mission to reach people with the gospel. And here's the deal. We cannot do it alone. We don't just need people that are converted. We need people that are also committed, committed to their Bible, committed to their own spiritual growth and development, taking responsibility for where they are at and where they are going. Um, we need carriers. And we don't just need one or two. Thank you, ladies. Would you give your, put your hands together and thank you. I'm going to cut your pain short. It was really just about getting Bethany to do some exercise. But you've got to know this, where we're going in 2020 as a church, we are carriers of a vision, and that vision is to be Bible-believing, people-empowering, and soul-winning. And I can't say this any any other way, but I am so thankful for the carriers of the vision in this church, those who attend services and serve in services, those that are committed to being covenant givers, to being prayer warriors, to being volunteer workers, to being unity builders, to being faith carriers. You know, I am so thankful for the people that have been carrying faith when I feel like my faith is completely gone. Hello, somebody. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm so thankful for those people that have been carriers, but we need more carriers as we go into 2020. We need those that will be champions of the church. I've tried to keep myself relatively controlled over the last few years, but of late I decided to let go of some control that I'd put on myself, especially when it comes to people just taking shots at God's beautiful church. 
I'm not talking about our church. When people take shots at our church, I kind of just go, oh, well, that's God's job. He can sort that. But when people take shots at the church, because it's like it's the most, I shouldn't use that word. I've got to find another one. It's the most gutless thing you can do is just take this bland shot at the church and point fingers at the church and blame the church for this and blame the church for that. But I'm always reminded that when Jesus talks of the church, he talks about it as his bride. And it's like, hmm, two things you should never take shots at in me is even now I kind of fell in love with this four-letter thing, dog. Like, don't touch my dog and don't touch my wife. My dog is a real pain in the butt. I have really bad nicknames for it, but it's my bad nickname dog. Do you know what I'm saying? Bad behaviour dog, but it's my bad behaviour dog. But that's my wife. Think about Jesus. He said, it's my bride. She just need to be reminded. And I know the church has a lot of things that needs to get sorted out and fixed up. Are you with me? Why did I say all that? Because like never before, we need people that will champion the church, fight for the church, fight for it in prayer, fight for it financially, fight for it in any way, that, not in a bigoted way, but in a, in a Holy Ghost way. We need to be builders of the house of God. I am so thankful. Carolyn quoted a scripture in a prayer meeting this morning about the fact that um, coming into the presence of God and the house of God, I, I'd rather spend one day in the house of our God than a thousand years on Greek islands. And I kind of listened to that scripture that was quoted for message and I went, oh, I've been to the Greek islands. <laughs> wow, I want to go back like a hundred times. <laughs> House of God must be pretty good, huh? Yeah. And in my mind, in my natural mind, I went, oh, I don't know if it matches. Oh, you just think I said something sacrilegious? And I, and I went in my mind, I went, oh, my goodness me, I need to get a better revelation because I do love the house of God. I do love the presence of God. But if in the natural I compare it to being on the island of Santorini, overlooking the water with non-alcoholic pina colada in my hand, it's like, hmm, house of God must be good. Can I encourage you that if you're dealing with feelings like loneliness, spiritual stagnation, bitterness in relationships, I'd have to ask you the question, how's your Bible engagement going? Because I can, I can tell you, we can preach it until the cows come home. But if that's all you're getting on a weekly basis, just like the survey said, change, negligible. Hey, you think you're doing well because you're doing it two and three times a week? Just like the survey said, change, you might get a blip, but not much. It's interesting that four times a week, four times a week is the game changer. I don't. I think it doesn't matter whether you do it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, or you have gaps in between. But if you, as an individual, will get to the place where you realise this word is able to transform your life, your relationships, your soul, then we're in the zone where God is beginning to restore all things.
so that we can be part of the crew that transforms cities and suburbs. I believe there's a game-changing influence of God upon us in this moment. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for your word. It does the work that we are unable to do ourselves. God, you said that as our roots go down into Christ, strength comes out of our life. God, I'm praying for those of us here tonight that are wrestling in areas that maybe we wouldn't talk about, maybe we wouldn't feel confident to be bold and bring to the surface. God, tonight, would you allow us to come into a fresh place in our walk with you? That it's not about the external, the leaves, the branches, but it's about the roots in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I talk to you about roots? Can I talk to you about roots? No one else knows that I'm talking directly to you. Only you. Can I talk to you about roots? The scripture in Colossians, I think it is, says, let your roots go down into Christ. Scripture refers to us in one of the symbolic ways as trees. And the interesting thing about trees is that everyone is aware of the leaves, the branches, the stature, the outward. No one sees the roots. It's like your walk with Christ. No one sees the roots, the stuff below the surface, the stuff that happens when you're not in church, the stuff that happens when your wife's not around, your husband's not around, your mum's not around. It's, it's the prayer. It's the praying that you do that no one else sees. Hello, somebody. It's a reading of the Word. We see you on your phone and I could judge you and think, oh, Cookie's on his phone. He's on Netflix or he's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. But really, he's got his Bible app open and what's going into his ears is the Word of God and he's giving attention to the state of his soul. He's not just reading his Bible, but he's letting his Bible read him. It's the prayer time that we spend. It's the giving that we do that no one actually sees. Let your roots go down into Christ. I'm amazed how men and women set goals on a regular basis in their natural world, but they don't have goals in their spiritual world that match or trump their natural goals. In 2020, we've got to be the kind of people that are setting goals in our spiritual life that trump our natural world. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.